Hello, everyone, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today we're going to reflect on some NBA, or excuse me, some NFL mock drafts. We are going to talk about the Raptors potentially trading one of their franchise pieces, but we are going to start, maybe some quarterback conversations too, but we are going to start with the Brooklyn Nets because last night... The Brooklyn Nets ended their three-game losing streak with a 104-94 win over the Indiana Pacers. Since James Harden has arrived in Brooklyn, the team has been last in the NBA in defensive efficiency. So the question is, can the Nets make a finals run with the roster as it is currently constructed? The answer to that question is no. It's kind of a weird, clunky roster if you look at it. You have Harden, Kyrie, Kevin Durant coming off an Achilles. You have Joe Harris, who they paid a lot of money. But it's also, when you get Kyrie and Harden, the need for Joe Harris kind of goes away. And it's this weird thing where in the NBA, it's like, oh, wait a second. We want to have shooters. We want to have three-point shooters everywhere, especially one that can hit them as a higher rate on the catch-and-shoot is Joe Harris, who Joe Harris can also handle the ball. He can also create a little bit of offense, which is why they paid him a bunch of money. But the problem with the Brooklyn Nets, as I just said at the top, and if you've watched them or if you've read any sort of stats about them this year, it's defense. It's defense, and they're kind of having a little bit of a Clippers syndrome that the Clippers had last year. The Clippers had a problem last year. They've kind of corrected it a little bit this year. There's still a little bit of concerns with them and their roster. But the Clippers last year, remember, a lot of games, they just wouldn't show up. But the only, the, the team that they really cared about playing, the team that they really wanted to beat, was the Los Angeles Lakers. They went into that game, in the games against the Lakers, and they wanted them. They wanted to beat them. But then they'd have a game on a Tuesday night against the Spurs or the Hawks or the Timberwolves, and then they would get a little bit closer and they might lose those games. And the Nets kind of have that same problem. The Nets have um, they have dropped to 7-11 and against teams below 500 this season. In those games, they are allowing 122 points per game. But against teams that have a record of 500 or better, they're 7-1. and one. They're allowing 110 points per game. The opposing field goal percentage in those eight games is 44% compared to 48% against below 500 teams. Their points per game differential, 12 points against teams that are above 500. They're having a problem now where they're playing the Detroit Pistons. And it's kind of, some of the numbers, it's not necessarily the best sample size. Because at the beginning when Harden was there, Kyrie's uh, still on hiatus. Uh, and then there's been things where Kevin Durant sat out. Now Kevin Durant's out for COVID protocols, health and safety concerns, contact tracing. So it's not necessarily the best sample size. But you can tell with this Nets roster 
they need more defense. And I just finished watching a segment on First Take where I, it was a really, it, it was one of those ones where you could tell that they were really trying to, they are really trying to get a polarizing headline where it's like, hey, I'm going to say something crazy here. And they had the topic of who is the key player to the Nets? And Max Kellerman said DeAndre Jordan, which does not make any sense. It doesn't. DeAndre Jordan isn't the player that he used to be. He's fair to say a few years past his prime. He's not going to be useful in a playoff series. You're not going to be able to play him in the closing minutes. He's not. He played 37 minutes last night. He had 12 points. And Kevin Durant didn't play last night. 12 points, 13 rebounds, 3 blocks. And the Nets defense actually was pretty good last night. Held Indiana to 94 points. We're ahead by 30-plus at some point in that game. But the Brooklyn Nets, they need to they need to follow the Golden State Warriors template. Look at how that roster was constructed. Because they pretty much have some of the pieces. They have the Kevin Durant piece, obviously. And then they have the awesome offensive backcourt. But what the thing that made the Golden State Warriors great. Yes, their offense was unstoppable. Yes, it was elite. Yes, the firepower on that was one of the most prolific things that we have seen in basketball history. But the thing that made them great was their defense. If you looked at the Warriors throughout that entire title run, they're top five in defense perennially. Perennially. Klay Thompson was one of the best perimeter defenders, and we're going to look back on him not as kindly as we should. We should look back at Klay Thompson and say, during that Golden State run, he was a top five defensive player in the league. He, he, should, he should have four all-defensive appearances, but he doesn't for some reason. He should have more all-NBA appearances, but he doesn't for some reason. Partly because when Kevin Durant comes in, more attention gets put to him, more votes get put to him, everything kind of gets spread out. Draymond Green won Defensive Player of the Year. So when people say, hey, well, they can get some guys on the buyout market, they'll trade they'll trade for Andre Drummond or they'll buy out or excuse me, they'll buy uh they'll get DeAndre Drummond on the buyout market. That's not gonna solve your problems. Cause even if you go back and look at those Golden State teams, they didn't have they had Bogut in the beginning, but Bogut was pretty much a non I don't you know, he wasn't even on the team when Kevin Durant got there. And yes, he was a good piece, but he wasn't the piece on the defensive end. It was a team effort. It was the fact that they could go small when they had Draymond Green at the five and Iguodala out there and Harrison Barnes out there and then Stephen Clay. So you don't need a seven-footer that's going to block shots. Oh, JaVale McGee, they'll get him. JaVale McGee will play 10 minutes a game. JaVale McGee is good at, he's super athletic, and if you watch him enough, and I'm not going to say this is all he can do, but it's the things that he's the most effective at on both ends of the court where he really doesn't play post-defense. He's more just stands there and he's like, all right, I'm going to wait for you to do your mute move. And when you try your shot, I'm going to jump up as high as I can and try and swat it. But you know what? He can come in, maybe play eight, ten minutes a game. He'll help out a little bit with rim protection. But what you need is to follow the Golden State Warriors template. 
you need more versatile defenders. Yes, Jeff Green's a piece, but can you really rely on Jeff Green in a playoff series? A lot of other teams have tried to do it. Cleveland tried. Utah tried. Boston tried. A bunch of teams have tried the Jeff Green experiments. experience. But you can't rely on him. You're not going to be able to rely on DeAndre Jordan. In a seven-game playoff series, DeAndre Jordan isn't going to be on the floor. They're going to be able to figure out how to put him in pick and rolls. They're going to be able to figure out how if he and if he is dominant, they're going to figure out, oh, wait a minute, this dude shoots 40% from the free throw line. They need to follow the Golden State Warriors template. They need more versatile defenders. You need you need guys that are pretty much kind of play the same position as Kevin Durant so that you can play small where Kevin Durant's like your four or five, but you have more versatile defenders. You have guys that can switch. You have long athletic guys. That's what you need. And you also need James Harden, Kyrie Irving to buy in on defense. They can't just be like, all right, we're just gonna we're just gonna ball out on offense and that's it. I would sacrifice twenty percent of their offense, if not thirty percent, of both of Katie, excuse me, Kyrie and Harden's offense for them to exert that all on defense. And that's the thing that can make them a title contender. As far as who the key player is on Brooklyn answering the first take question, it's obviously Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, we know he's going to do it on offense. We know he's going to get 30. We know he's going to get 35. We know he can get 40-plus. Like, that's that's a guarantee. He's not going to be inefficient. But Kevin Durant, and part of the reason they even made Golden State, even took up a level on defense at times when he was there was because he became like a rim protector where he was this paint presence where he would just, you know, uh, he'd be able to guard like guys like LeBron. Like he, he did decent, a decent job defensively on LeBron in some of those series, but he could also in other series, he could be around the rim and he could protect the, protect the rim. He can guard guys. He can, he's long, he's athletic but the only problem is if like he he's the best defender out of their big 3 and how these big 3s work everyone always sacrifices or one person has to sacrifice more than everyone else and if you're looking at ability of who is more likely to be the guy that sacrifices and plays more defense it's Kevin Durant but the only problem with that is that you don't want Kevin Durant to sacrifice offense or defense because that's just how incredible he is offensively. But the Nets have pieces to figure out. They're, they're going to have to make some trades. I think I think they're going to have to get rid of Joe Harris. They also have the Spencer Dinwiddie piece, who he's hurt, and I'm not sure because of his injury if they're going to be able to move him at all this year. It might be more of an offensive move. I've always thought this since they require, acquired Harden. Obviously, everyone's going to say it's all in on this year because you have Kyrie, Harden, and Durant. But I thought with Harden, with the amount of pieces that they had to give up, the way the roster looked like when they traded him, or traded for him, 
I believed that they weren't done yet, that they needed to add more pieces, and it's almost easier for them to make those moves in the offseason than to try and make moves on the fly in the regular season, especially when you lose a bunch of assets in that trade. It's also kind of weird, too, when you look at uh, potential potential players that could be in that fold for the Nets or even other teams. And it's weird how they're actually like they're they're actually pieces that used to play with James Harden. And they'd probably let bygones be bygones. These guys are all professionals. But relationships matter. I think people hold grudges. Some people do, some people don't. But I think it's weird a lot of the people that you hear that guys that could potentially be on the move to a contender are guys like P.J. Tucker, guys like Clint Capella, like Houston Rockets guys. Again, getting a center, just getting another backup center or getting a, getting a good center like Andre Drummond, or even if they do trade Clint Capella, trade for Clint Capella or John Collins or something, that will help. That's a piece, but that's not the piece. You need to model what the Golden State Warriors did. You need everyone to buy buy in on defense. Your offense is going to be fine. Your offense is going to be fine. You have Kevin Durant, you have Kyrie Irving, you have James Harden. The offense is going to be fine. You have to figure out the defense. Coming up next, let's talk some NFL mock drafts. Because the draft order is finally set after the Super Bowl. So NFL mock drafts coming up next. <laughs> All right, and we are back. Recording this February 11th, 2021. And let's switch to another conversation. The NFL season is over. And now it is time for everyone to speculate and predict what each team is going to do this offseason. The NFL draft order is set, and there are a lot of interesting picks that could be made very high in this year's draft. Mock drafts are coming in with hot takes on where college football's hot young prospects will land. What is specifically intriguing is the quarterbacks. Majority of mock drafts have five quarterbacks taken in the first round alone including everyone that I've seen, four, four quarterbacks going in the top 10, including ESPN's Todd McShay. Todd McShay had the four, first four picks in the NFL draft on his mock draft, the first four picks, all quarterbacks. The question is, are there actually five franchise-altering quarterbacks in this draft? The answer to this question is, I don't know. I don't know. And obviously, as I think everyone thinks, the top four picks in the draft aren't going to be quarterbacks. Three of them might. Two of them definitely will, but that's not how it's going to go. But from looking at all these mock drafts, from what I see, 
there are four guys that are probably going to go in the top 10. Trevor Lawrence, we know, obviously going to go to the Jags. Zach Smith, who this has really surprised me. I watched him and I thought, all right, that's like an NFL quarterback, maybe a first round pick. The fact that I keep seeing him as the number two quarterback in the draft kind of surprises me a little bit because, and I mean, you could say this about a lot of guys and you could say this about guys like Carson Wentz. You could say it about guys like Josh Allen from Wyoming. You could even say it about this other quarterback in the first, you know, that's going to go in the top 10, Trey Lance. Trey Lance is actually the one that could probably fall out of the top 10, but I think Fields, Lawrence, and definitely Zach Smith are probably going to go in the top 10. I guess Fields could maybe drop out of the top 10 too, even though I'd pick Fields in the top five. With all that being said, I think it's amazing. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me, back up a second. Uh, with all that being said, it's weird that Zach Smith is that high. I watched, like, go through that BYU schedule. Like, seriously, go through the BYU schedule. They were the best team going into every one of those games, which they, they were, and they played really good this season, and they won their bowl game. They dominated UCF in their bowl game. But BYU, they really didn't play that much. So a lot of this tape is against you no know, pass rushes. I guess you could say the same thing about the guys that play at the awesome schools too. It's like, well, they're going into every game better than everyone. I just think it's a little bit head-scratching. So there must be something that NFL scouts are seeing that is making people say that, hey, Zach Smith's going to be the number two quarterback for sure taken off of the you know the draft board. And part of these drafts are with these mock drafts, it's not finalized. It's not like he's going to have a lot. He's probably going to have 10 more different mock drafts coming up before the draft in a lot of these mock drafts you look at them and you're like wait a minute why is there actually always seven trades in the first round and also a lot of this too it's going to have a with how the draft is going to go and who people are going to draft that has so much to do with what is going to happen over the next month and a half Obviously, scouting process, people are going to, you know, dig into deeper tape. There's going to be smoke screens put up everywhere. There's going to be reports about this guy, that guy. But most importantly, what happens with quarterback movement? Because if Carolina trades for, I don't know, let's let's just throw out the wild card to Sean Watson. They're not going to, they're obviously not going to be in the market for a quarterback. If the Jets don't trade Darnold, they're not going to be in the market for a quarterback. Are the Falcons? Are the Lions? So we really don't even know what the quarterback market is. Are the Washington football team going to trade for a quarterback? Are the Colts? What's going to happen with Dak and Dallas? Are the Eagles, which are the, they are making a, the Texans are like a runaway favorite right now. I talked about yesterday the dysfunctional franchise championship belt for the NBA. The Texans, the fact that they hired their team preacher. They hired a, what do they call it, a chaplain or something? I'm sorry if I uh, I, I got the his actual title wrong. 
but they hired him as executive VP, which is just crazy. And then you see the story today where the president, the president of the Texans like resigned today. So that's a whole other thing. So they're running, they're running away really fastly with the, uh, the championship belt on most dysfunctional franchise. But the last month or two, maybe two, two and a half months, the Eagles are, are making a very strong case that they are that, that they should be considered in the top three of that conversation with how it's like, hey, we fired Doug Peterson for Carson Wentz, but now we're going to trade Carson Wentz. And then they can make a whole other run for it if they trade Carson Wentz and then draft a quarterback. Because if you're Jalen Hurts, you're just sitting there like, oh, my God, what kind of franchise am I a part of? And who knows what Jalen Hurts' trade value would be or what other teams even value him as if they think he's a starter or they think he's a backup or whatever. But back to mock drafts. I heard McShay talk about this, and he was saying, it's not necessarily that I think that all these quarterbacks are going to go in one, two, three, four. I'm trying to reflect... Because here's the thing. These guys don't just do mock drafts. Some might. And some might say, all right, even though I'm hearing this, I've watched the tape, I believe this. And you can probably tell if you do that job who's telling you information that they want you to share and who's actually giving you real solid information that's what people believe. But McShay was saying it's not necessarily that they're going to go one, two, three, four. I'm trying to reflect the demand for quarterbacks right now. And as I've talked about before, this is a copycat league. And probably a lot of teams see how the Chargers did last year where they got Justin Herbert that high. Which obviously they moved off of Phillip Rivers, but they got Herbert, and Herbert's one of the geez, if if you have a quarterback trade value list right now, Herbert's actually probably really high for it with the amount of success that he had, which he was clearly talented. He slung the ball over the place. He seems to have a, he seems to be a really smart, good character guy. But his trade value is probably top five in the league right now. So I think people are seeing that and they're saying, oh, well, are we a quarterback away? Can we make a move? Can we get a guy in this top five? Are we going to be in this top five again if we don't draft a quarterback right now? Somebody like the Falcons? The Dolphins? Which in his mock draft, too, the Dolphins didn't select number three. The Panthers traded up to number three. Just to be clear. But it's going to be very interesting to see. Obviously, this isn't how it's going to go. I also think the team, and I believe I believe his mock had it where the offensive tackle, Sewell, I believe is his name. That guy fell to Cincinnati. Where if Cincinnati gets Sewell, if they get another offensive tackle, because the draft before they got uh, Burrow, they drafted Jonah Williams out of Alabama. And if you paid attention to last year's offseason and you saw that the Browns signed a tackle and then they drafted another tackle with their first-round pick, which really gave Baker the protection that he needed to be Baker. And who knows if Burrow's going to be ready for the regular season or the start of the regular season. 
I'd rather him have to come back in week five than rush it and be back in week one or try and make a preseason game. But if you if you draft a tackle, hey, you got Joe Burrow protected and you have this division with the Browns who are up and down and who knows. You have the the Ravens that are the Ravens who have a lot of probably the most promising team in the division, probably the most guaranteed, but who knows what's going to happen with the Steelers with big Ben, everyone, no one wants big Ben in Pittsburgh. It's really weird. I feel like that's been a thing happening for like three years now where everyone's saying, Oh, big Ben, let's get him out of here. Let's get him out of here. I see that arm. I see that lack of mobility. That beard looks like he wants to go and live in the mountains. But mock draft, this isn't going to be the last mock draft conversation that we had. I just thought it was uh, interesting to bring up four quarterbacks in the top 10. I need to go through previous drafts, but I don't think that's ever happened. Definitely no quarterbacks. You've never had four quarterbacks go one, two, three, four. I know that's 100% never happened. But four in the top 10? It'll be interesting to see, and it'll also be interesting to see which quarterbacks get taken in the top 10 to which teams. But we're not going to know exactly who is going to be in the market to draft a quarterback in the top 10 until a bunch of these other dominoes fall here. Coming up next, why a certain Toronto Raptor franchise piece Maybe on the move. Coming at you after the break. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some other news in the National Basketball Association. Kyle Lowry has been a member of the Toronto Raptors for nine seasons now. While in Toronto, Lowry has made six All-Star games. He was a third-team All-NBA guy in 2016. And to cap it all off, he was one of the most vital pieces, the second or third most important player when the Raptors won the 2019 NBA Finals. However, it appears that Kyle Lowry may be on the move. He's in the last year of his deal with the Raptors, and many teams believe he can help, the t- he can help a team competing for a championship. It appears that Kyle Lowry is on the trading block. He's currently Toronto's biggest trading piece, and Masai Ujiri, a guy who's a shrewd operator, would want to make a move for Lowry now so they can acquire an asset rather than having him leave in free agency this summer for nothing. So which contender is a good spot for Kyle Lowry to go to, and where is he most likely to go? Now, as far as we know with this, it looks like he would more than likely go to a team in the West. That's more likely where he would go. And it's really weird how the NBA works now. This guy's been in Toronto for nine seasons. You feel like with everything that he's done for the franchise, the loyalty that he's shown, the fact that he's, even though he played a few years before he ended up in Toronto, the fact that he's kind of a homegrown product, the guy that he, he, he was the guy that was the foundational piece. It's a long, one of the longest tenured players in the league now for one team. 
definitely the most long-tenured Raptor. It used to be an old NBA. They would they would ride it out with Kyle Lowry as long as they could. But we're in a different world now where you trade guys for assets when you can. If you're a guy and you still have some game left in you, you go to a team where you can compete. And Kyle Lowry here, he's going to help a team here. And I'm not... A lot of it has to do with roster moves. It has to do with can contracts be moved around. So let's just look at Western Conference contenders because I think if he gets traded, it's going to be the West. So Utah, no. The Lakers, I don't think so. The Clippers are a possibility. And wouldn't that be an incredible backcourt? I don't think they would give up Beverly, but if it was a Kyle Lowry... Patrick Beverly backcourt, the amount of flopping, the amount of dirty plays, the amount of just, you know, raw emotion, the charges taken, uh, it would be something to see. It would be really like a, it would be a spectacle. Moving on, Phoenix, no. Portland, no. San Antonio, maybe. Maybe they're six in the West right now, by the way. Shout out Spurs. Denver. I think Denver's a possibility here. Kyle Lowry could come in. He could give him some veteran leadership. I don't think Denver would have to give up much stuff for him. I think Denver has the cap space. Let's check that real quick. Oh, no, they don't. They would have... Well, I mean, yeah, they'd have to give up, like, Gary Harris, which don't you think the Raptors would be willing to take that on because they're more in transition mode rebuild mode then compete for a title right now mode so that's actually a possibility you can move that gary harris contract you could work you could work something out you could work something out with that give them that that'd be the jamal murray more off ball kyle lowry you know they kind of share point guard duties kyle lowry uh, a good shooter off the ball catch and shoot guy maybe bring some toughness to the team a little bit of defense. I like that move. Sacramento, no. I'm, I'm actually just going to go through the entire West. Memphis, no. Dallas, maybe. Now, here's why Dallas is interesting here. Because Dallas, it, the weirdest, one of the weirdest things, and I feel like maybe this happens more often than we give it credit for, where a trade happens and we instantly believe that, oh my God, one team got fleeced. One team got screwed over on this deal. And even a year later, we're like, yeah, the Dallas Mavericks definitely won that trade. And then how maybe two years later, we look back on it. We're like, oh, wait a second. This does not look good for them. This is not good because Dallas. And I mean, they were 14th in the West last night. They, one last night over Atlanta, which pushed them to 11th. And again, they're with how tight the West is, they're only a few games out of fourth. They, they go on a little bit of a run. They're going to be up there in the contenders again. But Dallas, they don't have their first-round pick this year. The New York Knicks do. And the trade that I was talking about there referencing is the Porzingis trade. Because when that trade happened... We looked at that, and they're like, wait a minute. Dallas is getting rid of Dennis Smith Jr., who kind of looks like a bust. They're getting uh, 
Porzingis, who we all think is a star, has potential to be a superstar, is a unique talent, no doubt. But as we've seen this go so far with with uh, Porzingis here, he just looks physically. Excuse me, he just looks physically done. He doesn't look physically able. And if you're the Knicks right now, who you know, you're, the Knicks look like they're going to make the play in. They might be a top ten team in the uh, the East. So Dallas has an incentive to be good. They don't have an incentive to be bad. It's not like ah, you know what. It was this weird year. Porzingis didn't work out. We had some other injuries. Uh, the roster was kind of clunky. Luca didn't show up in shape. Uh, well, oh my gosh, look, we had the seventh pick. No, 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 it's not going to be like that. It, it's now the Knicks are going to have the seventh pick and be like, oh gosh, where does Dallas go from here? Is They have the Porzingis thing they have to worry about, Luca, Hardaway, all these different things. So Dallas actually has an incentive to trade for Kyle Lowry. And don't you think Kyle Lowry would be a pretty good fit with Luka, catch-and-shoot guy, toughness, veteran leadership, a guy that has playoff experience that can help them, knows how to win, a winner, as the, you know, as the oldest cliche in the book? Like, they could, they could move hard away for him. I'd be fine with that. Josh Richardson, who... I don't think I brought this up yet. I don't think I brought it up on this podcast yet. Why do teams keep getting rid of Seth Curry? Why? Can someone give me a good reason why? I just, I don't understand it. Because I'm going to look up Seth Curry here real quick. Let's look up his contract first. So he's got, he's, it's a cheap contract. He's making like what? 8 million a year. He's 30 years old, and I understand the early parts of his career where he's trying to establish himself in the league. But, I mean, Dallas, look, Dallas had him in, uh, they had him in 2016-17. Then the next year he's in Portland. I really liked him in Portland. And then the next year he's in Dallas again, and then Dallas trades him this offseason to Philadelphia for Jason Richardson. I'd rather have Seth Curry who's shooting over 50% from three-point range this year, who is a career 45% three-point shooter. Everyone is looking for shooters, especially shooters like him that can handle the ball, that can initiate offense at times. And it's not like he they were asking him, like, oh, my God, that's her. You know, if he's your second most important player on your team, yeah, he's a little bit high, but the contract's reasonable. He's a team guy. He hit shot. Why why do people trade him? Why? Everyone every 20 all 30 teams would love to have Seth Curry right now. All 30 teams. Why do people trade this dude? He signed in Dallas as a free agent in 2019. They had him in 2016. He signed to Portland in 2018. Why didn't they keep him? What is going on here with Dallas? The whole anthem thing, I, I'm not going to talk about that. You can listen to other places for that. But I just don't understand. I, I am a Seth Curry fan. I am on the Seth Curry bandwagon. He's shooting over 50% from three. He's a huge reason why Philadelphia is the contender in the East. I put money on Philadelphia, by the way, to win the East. I am really bought in on Philadelphia. I'm really been bought in on these guys. 
Seth Curry, even, I don't know, it wasn't last year, but I believe it was the year before when he was in Portland. He even played, like, super good defense on his brother. It was almost like, uh, not necessarily that Seth Curry was such such a good defender, but you could tell that they played each other. He's probably defended Seth Curry, Steph Curry. Seth Curry has defended Steph Curry probably way more than any other person on the planet. So he probably knows all of his moves. He knows all the tricks. He knows exactly what he's going to doing. You know, they're brothers, so they probably have a little bit of a back and forth, a little bit of a competitive edge. But he's almost like a not a stopper because there's really not stoppers in the NBA anymore just to how the rules are, not because people aren't as good on defense. Sorry, old school basketball guys. Anyway here, Kyle Lowry could be on the move. He should be on the move. So I would say look out for the Clippers because the Clippers, that Luke Kennard piece, that turns out that wasn't the best move, especially like, hey, let's trade for him, and then let's pay him before he's even taken a dribble for us or even played a second for us. I don't necessarily know if I like that. They can move that piece. Because I, I, I'm sure somebody could convince themselves that they want Luke Kennard, especially locked up for like five years. I would say Denver. Even though I feel like Denver's always the team that we want to make a move over the last two or three years. We've looked at them and we've seen their contracts. We've seen the Gary Harris contract. And we've said, we want to see them do something. We want to see them acquire a borderline all-star from another team and pair that with Murray and Jokic and now this Michael Porter piece that looks really good and we want to see that pairing and watch that explode and escalate and be awesome and then yeah Dallas Dallas even though uh Dallas does is stocked at guards because Luca's technically a point guard they'd probably either get rid of Richardson or Hardaway and then Jalen Brunson, I really like Jalen Brunson. You watch Dallas, and you're like, oh, my God, that Jalen Brunson guy is pretty good. They also have Trey Burke. So maybe that wouldn't be the best move. And it's also it's also Kyle Lowry's kind of a one-year guy because he's just under contract for one year, and then he could like he'd leave this summer, maybe, unless you got him to resign, which I guess that would be worth it if you got him and then got – got to resign, but then you're talking about re-signing 35-year-old Kyle Lowry and how much game does he really have left? And then also, what's the price tag for that? But that's something to monitor, is Kyle Lowry's ability to get traded. We know Masai Ujiri's not afraid to make the move. Even if, too, if you look at Kyle Lowry's stats, it's not like the dude's, like, like really declined... His stats are pretty much the same the last three or four years. He also didn't make an all-star until he was 28. Late bloomer. Late bloomer Kyle Lowry. Really good guy, though. Really good guy. Um, sometimes frustrating to watch with the flopping, but he's a winner. He, he He's somebody you'd want on your team. You don't want to play against him because of some of the antics, kind of like a Marcus Smart thing or a Beverly thing or a bunch of other guys. But he's a guy that you want on the team. He, his numbers still look good. He can initiate offense. All right. So I think we're going to end the podcast on this note today. 
And um, as always, guys, thank you for listening. Um, Go ahead and subscribe, rate, review, follow on Twitter and Instagram, JWSDetective. And as always, I will see you next time.